Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark. Two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. back dissection crew to an episode i've honestly been waiting for since season one we're gonna hop back in our retro time capsule and now review a video game but we're coming back to 1986 the year of my birth while we're not celebrating that we are celebrating a very polarizing movie one that had a great effect on its basically source material it's uh early morning cartoon show and its toy line after it was made and even had a greater effect on the psyche of young children in America at the time as well as the toy manufacturers directions they've gone on other things joining us today of course we have Mark always with us in every episode except for that one weird one where I talked about handheld consoles for about 45 minutes to myself um, and it's because I was in the hospital. Yeah, Mark was dying, but he pulled through. And I did. I did. We would like to extend a very warm, welcoming Ba Weep Grana Weep Ninibon to our very special guest, Chris Schmidt. Welcome aboard, Chris Schmidt. Ba Weep Grana Weep Ninibon. Yes, and now we have <laughs> snacks and we dance the dance of our respective peoples. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Honestly, Chris, uh, we should give you a little bit of a of an intro, and I'll provide a little piece of that because for those of you who listened to our conversation with Josh Sawyer, Chris Schmidt actually went to college with Josh Sawyer, mm-hmm. so he actually helped us get that that incredible conversation. But Chris, feel free to tell the dissection crew a little bit about yourself. I well, I and living proof that you can sell out one of your fraternity brothers and end up on a world renowned podcast. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a research scientist in Madison. I work in satellite meteorology, fire detection with weather satellites. I know it's a common job, but uh, somebody's got to do it. And uh, lifetime nerd, if that's not obvious from the scenery, for those who are watching, <laughs> I admit I never watch. I just listen, but, um yeah and i saw this movie the first weekend it was out in a theater in seattle which wasn't where we lived but we were there that summer fantastic all right yeah and as as we'll find as we go like a journey was made by by several of america's youth because of just how lowly distributed this movie actually was and if you have not caught on listeners and viewers looking at chris's shirt his job where he would I'm assuming definitely be looking for any planet-eating robots uh, that may come into the vicinity of Earth. Uh, We are talking about Transformers, the movie, 1986. Yes, very, 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 I I can say polarizing movie, because definitely this is one where 
initially as a child, I couldn't finish it. I had to be pulled away. I had to have a second chance at watching the movie. And I still didn't like it right away. It is to this day the only movie I have ever cried in. Believe it or not. No other movie has moved me to tears since Transformers 1986. Um, but after watching it as an adult, I appreciate it a lot more, which I think is um, kind of a consensus of a lot of the fan base for this movie, is that if you watched it when you were young, it was very difficult to watch for many reasons. But as you get older, you appreciate it more. You know, I, I can't say I agree with that entirely, mm -hmm. but that's because I watched this film for the first time in preparation for this episode. Yes. So unfortunately, I don't have that, mm -hmm. that historical context. The only thing that I thought of the entire time is the fact that Orson Welles voices Unicron. And the only thing I could think of while watching this movie was, oh, yes, the French. <laughs> Yes. Which, for those of you who have seen the drunken commercial with Orson Welles, he's just painfully trying to talk about this French champagne. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, it is very moving. Um, although, I mean, I'd have to say, because I know, despite his lack of acting he did for this role, which is not like me commenting necessarily on his, his performance, it's actually that of the director, Nelson Shin, who was very excited for him to come in and voice like the main villain of this movie. Um Orson Welles was in his 70s when he recorded for this and would sadly pass away just two months after he did his recording um, oh. for it. So he was health-wise in rough shape. And from what um, Shin recalled from the recording, uh, he basically just kind of read the script as opposed to acting to it. But more on that to come. Where I'd like to start is actually <laughs> um, looking, judging by Chris's background, you can't see them in mine, but, but I have some as well. Uh, Mark, I'm guessing you had zero, but of the three of us, what was our Transformers collection like growing up? What did we have? Well, mine was pretty complete <laughs> for, <laughs> for a while. Uh, you know, for various reasons, my parents were very generous with my brother and I. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, we, we, we had a decent selection of, uh, of both factions and made use of them. And of course, they're all still around in, in some tote somewhere lying around the house, my house or my parents' house or both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the dream is having the originals from, from 85, 86, 87, as long as that gen one toy toy run actually made it because I think as long as they're not like yellowing and zero stickers, like they, they hold their value pretty good for that original line. If you want to get rid of it, I mean, come on, who does this <laughs> other than I, I think I saw some guy in Pawn Stars literally try doing an entire room of the complete generation one collection. And I think the reaction that they got was not what they're expecting because basically they, they overwhelmed the hosts of the show and even their toy expert that came in and they're like, dude, we have to do this piece by piece. There's a very low chance we can sell them in one lot. So they're going to be hanging out forever. And honestly, this is overwhelming and we can't even start to make a deal today. So that poor guy in his like, I'm assuming one bedroom apartment and the bedroom did belong to the Transformers um, was not able to make a deal to sell his collection. Oh, absolutely. That's, I, I go to a thing called DairyCon. That's a Transformers fan group here in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And they have a gathering every April and plenty of collectors who are trying to sell off their collections or, and it, it always is piecemeal. You don't, they can rarely oh, yeah. sell more than a couple pieces at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, the only Transformer we had was, I believe, 
part of an Optimus Prime that never it was actually in the vehicle state. It was always mm-hmm. it was it was always uh, opened up and kind of out there. And I oh yeah, I, I want to say that it wasn't even often played with because there were pieces missing. Yeah, but I just focused on other things, guys. I was mm-hmm. big into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was into the Ghostbusters. Yep. You know, I, I was into Kosovo and Desert Storm and all these other things. Mm-hmm. So I just wasn't paying attention to uh, to Transformers at this point in time in my life, I, I will sadly say. Yeah. I mean, I remember having two growing up, um, Mark, so not too much less sad than yours. And it was mostly due to cost-effectiveness by my parents. Um I think my brother also had two Transformers, and uh, I still have both of them to this day. One of them has retained his complete originality. The other was actually a a reprint of Grimlock, the T-Rex. So instead of coming in his traditional um, gold, silver with blue eyes, he was like dark blue with red eyes and gold accents. Uh, in In my teenage years, when I began to explore toy customization, I did paint him. So he was Gen One accurate, and he is still with us. Oh. Um, so yeah, those were those were mine. I will say one other thing too about like getting close to adult life. My girlfriend used to say that she was sick of it, and that I was always pretending to be a transformer, and she didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I said, "But wait, babe, I can change." Into a dad truck. jokes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> there we go. The dad jokes are getting unleashed. Yeah. There's going to be more of them. You better, oh, you better be ready for them. <laughs> Yeah, I... show, show yourself out. But hey, what do you call a transformer with a half full fuel tank? Optimist Prime. Boom. Yep. There we have it. Mogli Scrook, man. What the fuck? <sighs> yeah, I know. This is just going to get worse from here. I just got back from a Transformers convention, and boy, are my arms tires. Ah. Oh, okay. I, I can respect it, but I still don't like it. Don't like it. <laughs> All right, All right, but sorry, since we're, we're on the content of toys anyway, um, that's where this whole thing starts, is that um, if you know anything about the background of the toys, like many things in the 80s, this was not an American-made product. Uh, you had Hasbro was looking for a cheap way to make a buck, much like that one boss in Christmas Vacation who cut out the Christmas bonuses. They were going around to toy conventions, and they stopped off in Tokyo in 1983. A year before that, a line by Takara Toy Company called Diaclone was made. And this would be the basis for our Transformers. It was originally 28 molds. And it eventually would become, when they came to America, after the 83 uh, toy convention in Tokyo, where the Hasbro execs saw it, saw it and like, hey, let's repackage it, get it ready, get it to the States. The kids are going to love these things. They're like puzzles that are robots and cars. What's, what's not to love about them? So they bring over the 28. You had 18 Autobots and 10 Decepticons. And like anything American, like, if you know anything about really, like, Japanese media, backstory is not very big. They don't really care about, like, any sort of continuity. They just want to tell the story at hand. Americans, we need substance. We need something that happened before what we're watching so we know what's going on. So they brought in... Marvel to make a comic book and make up these backstories for every individual character, make up the two factions, Autobots and Decepticons, and give them a reason to fight and what they're fighting for. And they did all of this in a year because after that purchase in 83, where Hasbro purchased the molding rights to all 28 of the original Diaclone line, 
in 80, 85, we, no, I'm sorry, in 84, we had the premiere of the cartoon and we had the toy line hit, but something else, something else very important happened in 1984. Actually, hold on. I take it back. Was it 82? It may have been 82 or 83. It was before 84. It happened in Congress. Does anyone have any clue what happened in Congress that may have helped the Transformers become the empire that they were? Well, so I remember. No, go ahead. Yeah, Chris. You probably yeah, it know. was. They, they removed all those. Uh, they, they allowed uh, product placement in the cartoons. Yeah. Yep. So it they, changed all the cartoons. Everything changed. Mm-hmm. So you went from like required children's programming uh, blocks for the major networks and you had to keep commercialization out because no one's trying to sell things to kids. But then someone, we don't know, I don't know who, someone probably does, got it going in Congress's head that, hey, this is America. What does America love? Making money. Let's sell things to kids because if they want it, they will annoy their parents until they get it. Hence the shelves behind me. It happens. Yeah. And hence, hence the reason why I was trying to buy cigarettes when I was three years old, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, just needed that, that smooth, nice menthol in my lungs. I almost wonder if that's actually the reason why like product placement had to be taken out was because we were selling cigarettes to children. Um, I mean, Hey Joe, we've well, come a long way, baby. We have. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's why you got uh bubble gum with baseball cards because they used to be cigarettes once upon a time. Hey, you know, give the people what they want. Yeah, it's okay? sweet, sweet nicotine. So, <laughs> sorry for those that <laughs> listen to the audio. Yeah, <laughs> the audio only program. Chris is like sitting here going, "Dear God, what have I walked into?" Yeah, he's gonna <laughs> suddenly just start turning off his video and saying he's going through a tunnel and losing connection on us <laughs> uh, as he's sitting in his house. Well, but here's the thing, though. Okay, so like out of the three of us, Chris is the only one that actually saw this in the theater, though, mm-hmm. right? He's yeah. like so. Yeah. The the question I always kind of have, Chris, because being as big of a Ghostbusters fan as I was, mm-hmm. I had to see the pandemonium from like f- you know stock footage and you know old newscasts. Like when you saw this movie in theaters, Joe's kind of talking about how this movie or this this you know cartoon series is obviously mm-hmm. getting popular and kind of gaining steam. But what was the theater circuit like? I mean, do you remember like the what was kind of going on at that time? Now, I need to lay a little background first. I my family was in Seattle. So my brother was getting a bone marrow transplant or what we'd call stem cell transplant now. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't our native turf. And sure. I had to figure out where the theater was. There were only like two theaters in the whole area that had mm-hmm. it. And it was an hour bus ride or something like that to get to the place. Um, and so I think the first time my dad actually did go with me, uh, I did wander around Seattle a lot by myself that summer. As Age kids 11. do in the 80s. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that time, I think my dad did go with me for the first one. And it, the theater was maybe half full. There was a little bit of a line when we got there. And it was loud. They had the sound turned up way too high. It was deafening. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, it, it because it had been out for a handful of days at that point, it was the first or second week, but it had been out a few days. And it was a small theater north of Seattle. It, I wouldn't say there was any pandemonium. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went and saw it by myself a few weeks later, there was four people there. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it wasn't, I knew amongst my core friends it was uh, popular, but 
it, I didn't see a lot of evidence of it in the rest of the world. However, it was also not my world I was in that summer. Yeah, yeah. understandably yeah. so. Yeah, it, well, it's that's the whole thing I was kind of curious about was trying to figure out historically what the popularity of the cartoon was able to translate into the film because yeah. i mean i mean joe th this is just stuff that i happen to know mm -hmm. offhand that yeah. the toy line obviously was ridiculously popular i mean all of my friends had them mm -hmm. i was one of the few kids that just didn't have the toys yeah and um, so you're right yeah. uh, it is was insanely popular the toy line peaked in 85 which is the year before the movie premieres and in 85, the Toyland made $333 million, which is Dang. crazy money. And because we haven't done it in a long time, we are going to adjust for inflation. Because oh, yeah, that is are. very topical today. And I'd like to think that it was not because of current events that have caused this, but because of our show. The people love to talk about inflation currently. But adjusting for the difference of cash and time, if we were to make that $333 million in today's money... It would be $917,021,960.97. So, lots of money in 1985 is what this, what this toy was doing. Um, and for fans of animation, since the cartoon, like, basically, you know, was that first generation of cartoons that kicked off, we are making this to sell toys to children. And this would basically continue through a good deal of our childhood and young adulthood. Um you had uh, the company Toei. So if you are Dragon Ball fans or fans of a lot of anime, Toei is a very popular company that does them, and they were the ones who did all of the animation for the original cartoon and the movie, which, like we said, does, does have a significant step up. So let's get into actually analyzing the movie now that we've talked about things that have happened before. We have the success of the cartoon, we have the success of the toy line. Hasbro's like, let's fucking make a movie. They order it up. They want it to happen. And you basically, through rumor is how this happens, is that there were two scripts for this movie. One was by Flint Dilly, who is credited in the movie, I believe, as a script consultant. Um, and he makes a movie called The, Secret, the Secrets of Cybertron. Uh, yeah, the secrets of Cybertron. Where Optimus Prime ventures to the center of Cybertron to save the day against the Decepticons. And you have some elements that definitely do make it into the movie. Uh, you also have like this, this epic battle at the start between the, the Decepticons, the Autobots, that fuels this greater idea of what needs to happen. You've got the planet-eating Unicron uh, not heading to, towards Earth, but actually heading to Cybertron right away. Because it turns out Cybertron is Unicron's brother. And it's also capable of transforming into a giant robot that is plant that is now bigger than a planet. Uh, and they are these like early universe made beings who've been at basically odds the whole time. And the matrix of leadership is the key to helping Cybertron transform. That is really so, cool. And it did not happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Question I have for you guys. Yeah. Now, since I haven't watched a whole lot of the the cartoons themselves. Mm -hmm was this idea of like what would be technically like a marvel celestial type of being like were the were these types of beings ever mentioned in the cartoons okay chris is shaking no no hint at all no no cybertron <laughs> was going on nope cybertron was just the planet there's no mention of unicron or anything yeah, so they, these... this backstory didn't exist mm -hmm. um and frankly the the transformers themselves didn't seem to be particularly aware of their own 
<laughs> the facts of their own existence, like Dude. where they came from and all that. No, oh, and huh. really, that is part of some of the issues that we see in this movie. One uh, is that the script supposedly only exists in the mind of Flint Dilly. Um, he is, <laughs> other people are saying, including the, the writer, uh, Ron Friedman, who did write the script for Transformers the movie, was the name from the start. And of course, it retains some of his ideas from Flint's uh, original script, but Flint being um, one of the script advisors probably helped move some things into there. Uh, Ron says he has no knowledge of the script ever existing. And Flint even like admits, like, you know what? It sounds sketchy because I don't have a copy. Um, Hasbro doesn't have a copy. Sunbrow, uh, Toei, no one has the script. So as far as anyone's concerned, I made it up. That's what he's that that's his story. Now that I know this, I feel like mm -hmm. there need to be far more Transformers with daddy issues. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because they, they don't know where they came from. Yeah. I mean, how how is Optimus Prime not a stripper at this stage? Yeah. Right? Is, is it Ron or Flint? Yeah. Who's my dad? Oh. Who is my father? I don't know. And whoever my yeah. mother is isn't telling me. Do you imagine him up on stage? You know, do you like that sentient being? Mm. <laughs> oh, One baby. shall stand. These panties <laughs> will fall. <laughs> oh damn oh chris aren't you happy you're here for this kind of kind of weirdness oh i knew this was gonna happen <laughs> mm -hmm. so this is, this is kind of crazy though i mean I've, of all the movies mm -hmm. that i've kind of had a chance to analyze this season right i mean even going back to akira yeah. like akira for example had a pretty strong understanding of story mm -hmm. uh, and, and understanding of where they wanted to go with it. Yeah. It's, it is kind of strange to me that an animation mm -hmm. would have so little ground understood by the studio. Yeah. I mean, th that's, that's just bizarre to me. I mean, Chris, what do you think? They, they were, the goal was to sell the toys mm -hmm. and the story came second. Uh, Joe mentioned that Marvel, uh, yeah, Marvel was brought in to write backstory, but a lot of that backstory never made it into the cartoon. No. Mm -mm. The, the comics and the cartoons diverged quite a bit. Uh, and they, they were basically flying by the seat of their pants. Mm -hmm. They, While the movie, the 86 movie, is a touchstone of Generation 1, and it kind of defines it now, mm -hmm. um, it was nothing from it really existed before the movie, and after it, they retconned parts of it yeah. and changed things. They assigned a creator to Unicron, mm -hmm. The idea of Cybertron being a planet didn't really stick mm -hmm. in Generation 1. Uh, you know, although the ideas of transforming Cybertron kind of popped up. Mm -hmm. it, 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 they, they were creative, and they were exploring. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the perfect word for it. Because, like Chris said, this was a cartoon made to sell toys. So you've got the writers, Dilly and Friedman, admitting... Mm -hmm they don't really know much of the backstory of these characters. What they do know is Optimus Prime is the daddy, he's the hero, he's the main character, he is the person everyone loves. And we'll get back to that in a bit. Um, because where we get into how the two writers basically admitting, we thought this was a toy line, we thought it was always the plan to introduce new characters and get rid of other ones as toys discontinued and new ones came out. So we had no idea... Uh, over some of the impact this movie was going to have on the generation. So that being said, let's get into the first 15 minutes of Transformers the Movie 86. Um, 
we, we open up with a unknown robotic planet similar to Cybertron with its own unique looking beings. We don't think they can transform, but they have children, they have bars, they have science labs, they have a life. And then, as you can see behind Chris for our viewers tonight, someone decides to change all of that. Come in and eat the planet and its inhabitants whole. And as a child watching this, it's just like, oh, damn, that just happened. You just had one planet eat another. This, this is a wild ride. And it only intensifies when we get a sweet 80s hair metal cover of the theme from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, 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 thoughts I on say, I... experiencing <laughs> the amazingness that was the cover of the song, everyone. <laughs> I got two quick things to say, and then I'll, I'll let Chris have it from here, because mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to be very, uh, very of much value to people here, but... When I heard the music to this movie, trust me, I've seen plenty of 80s films. Mm-hmm. This music was just so unapologetically 80s. <laughs> there is no way you could possibly mistake when it was made. Yep. There's just there's no way. Like right away, I'm like, holy shit. Am I wearing, you know, like pink shorts mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and a cutoff SeaWorld shirt? It's yeah. like, yep, I sure am. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, I'm back. We're, we're uh, going to show this to our descendants in the 2060s. I'm going to assume we're all making it that far. We're going to be retirement oh, homes. We're going to put this movie on, and they're going to be like, hey, fam, this was made in the 80s, wasn't it? <laughs> no cap. Yeah, for real, for real, no they will, cap. They yeah, will make their own, yep. And even then, that language will be dated. They'll have new things <laughs> I don't understand and have to look up on Urban Dictionary. But I, I won't because it, I'm too old yeah. and I don't care anymore and I'm just going to fart well, openly. By that point, they'll be back to like medieval speak because that's how far, like that's how full circle will be, you know. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes, doth protest too much, Decepticons. But it, that that this this whole tone mm-hmm. for this movie, like get the music, yes, okay, yes. I'm, I'm wearing cutoffs and I got a mullet, okay, I got it. But then the fact that Unicron is just straight up murdering people. Yeah, or, yeah murdering I mean, is the right word. <laughs> like, I'm just looking at that. I'm like going, holy shit, who Whoa. is this targeted at right mm-hmm. now? And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'll say that at this part, it's more confusing than like actually like scarring. Because, yes, these little beings are, are being eaten by this massive planet. But, I mean, this is kind of like, um, you know, uh, Fury talking to Loki. And Loki is saying, hey, does a boot have a quarrel with an ant? No. And yet, you step on it. And then Fury introduces the ant to the boot. And this is what we have here. Unicron is the boot. These are the ants. So I think the scale is almost too grandiose to really be hurt by. Chris, what do you think? I, it, it's, it felt epic to me, mm-hmm. um, it, which was the intent, of course. Um, and sp- <laughs> speaking of the music, I as a closeted nerd who mm-hmm. uh basically only listened to the monkeys and weird al um <laughs> sure mm-hmm. the the heavy metal was a actually a good introduction to the genre in a way yeah uh, it opened up uh, opened up some doors not that i really started listening to metal but i mm-hmm. appreciated it after that but that opening yeah that opening really did set the tone mm-hmm. that they weren't there to play things were going to happen yeah, and that that was good. I mean, the, mm-hmm. in the cartoon, there were no stakes ever. Nothing ever changed. No, no. I mean, I think the first episode, Optimus Prime, does a slam dunk on a on a basketball court. Um, it's very yeah. very childish and very much made for children. Like, hey, look at these cool robots. They're toys. Go and ask your parents to buy them. They play basketball. That's what the kids like. Um, 
that's that was happening. And now we're introduced to substance, which we had never seen before. And what's coming up next proved we were unprepared for it. Because after you get the 80s cover, you get one from the series catapulted three years into the future from the cartoon left off. The Autobots are have made a base out of one of Cybertron's moons. They're thinking of this grand assault that's going to come up. And the Decepticons, of course, because of Laserbeak, one of the cassettes that belongs to Soundwave. And if you're not familiar with the property, there is a robot that transforms into a boombox. And these little things that used to play music called cassettes, these square plastic things with a film-like object inside of them, would play music. And for this Transformer, they would pop out as other small Transformers, and he could send them to go to espionage and fight and whatnot. So the Decepticons learn about the plan, and here is where they, shit goes down, because Prime sends off Ironhide to Earth, like, we need more Energon, and we're gonna, we're gonna tick, uh, kick some Decepticon tail, right? And Megatron sees a message, and he's like, ah, foolish Autobots, we'll see about that. And the next scene does open up some more amazing hair metal called Instruments of Destruction by NRG. Great name, gents, by the way. Um, and you have the Decepticons blowing a hole in the shuttle. And bonus points to anyone who can name the first known death in this movie because this Autobot steps up to the plate. Megatron says, die Autobots, transforms into his gun form, and Starscream blows a hole right into an Autobot to get things going. I, oh, no I can't idea. remember if Ironhide or Ratchet. Ah, it was actually Hound is the first one. Oh, what? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, and then that's an indication of what's going on because now with Ironhide and Ratchet, two big fan favorites at the time, um, your southern talking sassy minivan uh, who is Ironhide and then the medic Ratchet who was an ambulance but before they get an inevitable death, you have this cool Datsun um, 280 uh, ZX Turbo police car called Silver Streak. Boom. Hole blown right through him. You see the life leave his eyes and the smoke, and he yeah, goes nah. to the ground. And then you've got um, Ironhide is the next one to get shot and fall. Then Ratchet gets blown to hell. And what gets really dark after that is when the Decepticons are going over their plan to go undetected on Earth to Autobot City and then take over the city. Ironhide, in a dying attempt, crawls over to Megatron, grabs his leg and says, no! And Megatron says a very, like, something about, like, useless sentiment or some sort of just crushing line and just blows Ironhide away point blank. And at this point, kids are like, what the fuck just happened I, I thought he said uh no brother they, they expect one of us in the wreckage <laughs> oh wait no wrong movie yeah wrong i movie. must be decades ahead oh you are <laughs> dude mm -hmm. and they were swearing too the, yeah. like the robots were literally swearing in this i mean mm -hmm. and I, i've said it before i've said it a couple times already mm -hmm. just tonight I, I saw this movie for the first time yep like jaw was dropping mm -hmm. i'm like dude they're like, did I just hear a robot say shit? Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure I did. You did. And then <laughs> this is also the, the thing that is difficult to actually get a hold of because I own two versions of this movie that are distributed for, like, home market. And in neither of them do I get any Autobot swearing or any Decepticon swearing. Um, they're edited out. And a lot of this happened when it went to home because they made some changes after what happened in the theater. Um, but, yeah, 
Autobot, like Autobots and Decepticons both were swearing up a storm as they, they were dying and getting blown away or blowing others away. So you're misremembering. Oh. There, there were actually only two swears in the whole movie. Ah, okay. Um, and I'm only know I only know it's two because I just read that. I I only remember one, which is when Spike says, yeah. "Oh shit, what mm -hmm. are we going to do now?" Yep. On the moon base, when mm -hmm. Unicron destroys the first one and doesn't blow up when they try to self destruct it. Yep. Yep. That's the one. That's... I don't even remember when the other one was. No, because yeah, that that uh, Spike swearing is the only thing that I remember making it. And from what I watched, because I did watch both of my home releases that are different from each other yesterday to make sure I'm, I'm seeing things because there were different ones. Uh, and yeah, in both of them, uh, Spike was the only one who swore uh, as, as they were getting almost chomped to bits on, on the moon. Not going to lie, part of me was almost expecting that there's going to be like a hydraulic-inspired sex scene based off of mm -hmm. the first 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. I just had no idea where things were going to go. No, um, but where <laughs> things go next is actually where the executives wanted it to go. And we got introduced to some new Autobots. We see uh, Hot Rod, who is this really cool flaming uh, sports car, the logo he has on the front, that's futuristic and Cybertronian looking. We get old Grizzled Cup um, in the next scene, uh, who's all like, Jabba Robin, young punk, I'll straighten you out yet, and all this stuff, um, as the Decepticons make it to Earth. We also get introduced to the first of the Stan Bush songs, called Dare, um, that is an also just amazing 80s ballad. <laughs> yep. And Chris, you've gone silent again. I wasn't saying anything. Oh, okay. He wasn't saying anything. Perfect. He was just mouthing just... The, the, yeah. the incredible lyrics. Dare to believe you can survive. Yeah. There we go. i everyone my singing. <laughs> it's okay. I'll give it to them. After I gave them Power of the Night in our Campy Movies episode, they're getting Dare, and they're going to get the next one coming up, too. So we, we get this awesome ballad as the Decepticons are coming in the Autobot ship. The new Autobots try keeping up, and they're just completely overwhelmed. They radio prime for help. And here's where actually we get one other fan favorite Transformer with an on-screen death that you will miss if you're not paying attention for like the 0.3 seconds that he's on there. It's the scene where you've got Springer and RC pushing that big rocket launcher into place. There's this a scarred dead one. me. Mm -hmm. This Did one it? scarred me. I yep. caught it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So who was it, Chris? Wheeljack. Yeah. Fan favorite, like our... Our Eastern Jersey Mook Wheeljack is now just laying dead on the floor, and we didn't even get to see how it happened. Just gone, with a massive hole blown in his chest. So, boom. Just death after death after death. And then we get the pivotal radio out to Prime. The city falls, and just in time, Optimus Prime and the Dinobots arrive to try and save the day. The Dinobots okay. take out Devastator. Oh. Mark, interrupt me as I get to the next epic scene. Hold on a second here. Since this was my first day of viewing, okay? Mm -hmm. I'm familiar with some of the Transformers, don't get me wrong. Yep. But seeing the Dinobots in action, okay? Mm -hmm. This was like people trying to race with pontoon boats. Like, just, <laughs> just seeing, seeing the Dinobots <laughs> take off and, and attack things. They're just being swatted away. They are. And it's like... It's like they have the turning radius of like a Ford ex like expedition, okay? Mm -hmm. Like they're not they're not meant to be, no. you know, Formula One racers. And so, yeah. I was laughing hysterically yeah. at the beginning of the Dinobots being <laughs> introduced, and, and it, it wasn't their fault. It's just like you're seeing these like ridiculously powerful Decepticons, mm -hmm. and they're like they're basically donkey punching a bunch of these like 
I don't know, like B level mm -hmm. uh, transformers. You know, like I. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I was laughing the entire time they were on screen. Yeah, I just was. And that's that's kind of part of the Dinobots is they are comic relief because you think of our knowledge of dinosaurs in the '80s, we still thought they were these big dumb lumbering idiots. Um, we 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 have hints of social behavior, but it's not widely accepted yet. So you get these big dumb robots on the show because that's a popular opinion on them at the time, and they they're comic relief actually in this scene. Uh, is one of the few like very cartoony humorous moments when Devastator slams uh, Sludge, who's the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna safely say Brontosaurus because that's what he was marketed as, and then we found out that didn't exist, and then we found a new yeah. one that we did call the Brontosaurus, so he's a Brontosaurus yet again, and as he gets hit, <laughs> his eyes like bulge out of his sockets and leave his body and then come back down. So yeah, mm -hmm. and totally then, total total comic relief, and then you get. With the, like, the mood is really set in. Like even the Dinobots can't change this. Optimus Prime gets off the ship, and he just does some heavy foreshadowing for what's going to happen in the next three minutes when he says Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. And mm. he transforms and drives into battle, and he's running over Decepticons left and right, batting them out of the way, shooting them and discarding them like they're nothing. And then we get like the very iconic line, which at this point has become cliche where you get uh, Prime confronting Megatron, saying one shall stand, one shall fall. Um, and then the, the fight pursues. And it looks like Optimus Prime is about to win the fight and blow Megatron away. Because we were all hoping that when Megatron pleads for mercy, Prime would have just blown his head off and said, that was for Ironhide, dickhead, and walked away. But that's not what happened. Who, who can tell me what happened and the fallout and the impact it would have on America after that. Oh, Mark clearly can tell you. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I had to really a little bit. I well, of course, Hot Rod, being the the young new idiot, had mm -hmm. to uh, catch Megatron trying to reach for a gun that, of course, we had never seen before and we'll never see again. Nope. Um, that somehow manages to puncture Optimus Prime several times when mm -hmm. Hot Rod inadvertently gets in the way and blocks Prime's kill shot and. Prime goes down, and Decepticons retreat, and everybody's upset because Prime is mortally injured. Yes, and we find out he's mortally injured in the next scene where he's literally on his deathbed, and we have this very chilling score by Vince DiCola, who did uh, the music for this movie. And you've got, like, a heart rate monitor, which, you know, is just there because we need some frame of reference. They don't have hearts. They're robots, they're machines. It was still triggering. Mm -hmm. Very triggering, because you knew what was going to happen. And you get the line that, believe it or not, I used on my parents when I was in the sixth grade. I got my appendix removed, and going into the whole thing, I'd ask the doctors to when it, when it was done to tell my parents I didn't make it, just to fuck with them. Um, they, of course, did not agree to this, but I did not know they didn't agree to it. So when I came out, and my parents were looking at me. The first thing I fucking said, because apparently this was in my, my subconscious mind, I, I held up my head and said, do not grieve. Soon I shall become one with the Matrix. My brother laughed. He got it right away. My parents were like, what the fuck is going on? But <laughs> as a kid watching this, you're like, no. And then immediately Daniel says, Prime, you can't die. And that's where we all were. Like, he, you can't kill him. He's Optimus Prime. 
Ed, please oh. tell me your dad was wearing overalls in the operating room. No, but it was a John Deere hat because this was a small town Damn. in Wisconsin of no, no more than four thousand one hundred people. Um, I, I've just got to mm-hmm. say because we haven't we haven't actually mentioned this just yet, mm-hmm. but what did kind of keep me in this because yes, seeing Optimus Prime mm-hmm. pass away was was actually pretty jarring even as an adult seeing yeah. this. Mm-hmm. What really was the the thing for me that stuck out was recognizing that Judd Nelson was hot rod. Yeah. You know, that mm-hmm. that unsolved mysteries, Robert Stack was ultra Magnus. Right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and just, just picking up on, on the fact that there's a lot of these really, you know, recognizable mm-hmm. and solid actors that are a part of this, this core group, mm-hmm. which um, should have been a hint to our young selves that things were not going to go well because they got <laughs> lead billing on all the, all the, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Optimus Prime was literally transformed in the background as a truck, and you had the new ones up, up front doing things. So, like, something was up, but not enough of us caught on to what it was. Because I didn't see... get that hint at all. No, I, mm-hmm. I, it, it seemed to me like this is how you get the parents to want it, to be interested. It, it interested my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were like, oh, Robert, mean... Eric I, My dad was really kind of happy to hear Eric Idle. I think that made mm-hmm. made it worthwhile to him. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Idle from Monty Python was one of the junkions who we'll get to. You mean to but... tell me that Brave Sir Robin is in this movie? It's like, yes, he is. Let's go check it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yeah. Chris, you are the best person to have in the in the group right now because you actually had the first hand experience of in the movie theater watching this happen. So, if you remember, walk us through what was going through young Chris's mind as Optimus Prime faded to charcoal <laughs> on the sunscreen before you that. answer before you answer chris i i don't want to say young chris because damn it you're still in your prime sir i just we'll just talk about the earlier I, operating system of chris yes. my optimus prime yeah <laughs> there we go okay i uh, mark's rubbing off on me um <laughs> it, i in moments of uh shock mm-hmm especially at that age, but even still today, I become hyper-focused and I was hyper-focused on what was going on on screen and trying to understand what was going to happen next. Um, I do remember hearing some sniffles in the room. I don't know if anybody left. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll give myself some slack. It was 37, whatever years ago. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it didn't feel real, uh, which means... I was having the kind of, I, I knew in retrospect, especially no, I was having the reaction that I would have mm-hmm. to such an event in real life. Um, it was jarring. I think I kind of knew it was supposed to happen. That might've been spoiled for me, but um, you know, it was before the internet. If you heard rumors and I didn't have a lot of uh, doorway pathways for rumors back then, mm-hmm. uh, you really had no idea <laughs> there was any validity to it at all. No, there, there definitely had to be a state of disbelief because who kills the main character in a show? And keeps the right. show going. We're not not everything's Doctor Who. It's not laid out like that. So or there's also not like maybe he'll come back because you know that idea was already there mm-hmm. in some way from yeah. some media. I can't even remember what. Mm-hmm. Not Transformers, some other stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a in a real world thing that was going on is that, like I said, like the Secrets of Cybertron was declined if it never existed. And you had this new script brought up, and the new script didn't have Optimus Prime die in it. 
However, executive to- executives told Friedman, Optimus Prime needs to die. And he's like, you can't do that. Like, he's the literal daddy character. You can't kill him off. Um, he actually went on to quote in saying that they, uh, the Department of Psychology with the School of Business uh, would try to create a formula that assessed uh, when kids became connected and what emotional triggers caused them to lock on. A lot of it was common sense because I had kids and saw how they responded. It was really useful because it validated what I saw myself when I was a kid connecting various comic book, cartoon, and film characters. It gave me some insight into what I needed to do and was one of the reasons I didn't want to kill Optimus Prime. So he was against it. He fought it. The director fought against it. Um, uh, the, the script consultant, Flint, fought against it. And the executive was like, no, it's happening. Like, it's a toy line. Prime is selling really well. We want new ones to sell. We need a new leader and a new figure to look up to. You kill him off. And that was, there was zero budge on that idea from Hasbro. They're like, nope, he needs to die. So, and again, like, with the other characters, like, the writer's like, yeah, whatever. Like, they can die. We have no idea, like, that some people will have favorites other than Optimus Prime. So, big whoopee. New toys are coming in. Those ones got discontinued. We can't keep them on the show anymore. But, like, they knew from the get-go, don't kill Optimus Prime. It's going to have an effect. And Dilly would even get, like, reports and, like, hate mail because he's credited as, as one of the writers from parents saying, like, I had to walk my kid out of the theater sobbing because they couldn't handle it anymore. And he got multiple of these. He even got one from a parent who said, my son locked himself in his bedroom for two weeks and refused to come out because Optimus Prime had died and he was his hero. And I, like, I can't believe you did this to children. So that was... If you had no idea how much a movie could really impact a society, especially of kids, this is what this movie did. I will say that uh, this alone has a larger impact on the Transformers franchise than any other singular point. Because you would think after this movie, Hasbro learned. And like, you know what? We are never killing Optimus Prime again. That is untrue. Does anyone know how many times in total... Optimus Prime has died in all forms of media, whether this is uh, comic books, cartoons, and other movies. If you actually found an answer to that, I'll be really impressed because it's high. I found it's an answer. Digits. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's an easy I'm going to say at least 27 times. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to try to guess. Not even, can't, <laughs> even, can't even wager a notion? Well, I think Mark might be in the right territory. Around a couple dozen. I mean, but there's so much media out there, yeah. and what counts as dying? In some mm-hmm. things, he died two or three times in a row. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Jeez. I mean, you look at even in the cartoon. I think it was in season one. He literally got disassembled into spare parts and turned into other Transformers, and then eventually yeah. got brought back to Optimus Prime. So anyone who remembers that is really confused over how did he get disassembled, made into other things, and be fine, but get stabbed once and shot three times and die. But yeah, I mean, must have been a hell of a gun. That's a hell of a gun, man. Hell of a gun. And Chris, I, I mean, I'll even give you. You can you can do the um, the the prices right method and just go a dollar above mark if you want to. If you if you have no guess, go with twenty eight. Sure, I'll go with a dollar above mark. All right, so twenty eight. The Price is Right I, way out gets Chris the win because he's been killed twenty nine times in total. Oh come on, yeah, I am I am impressed that Mark mm-hmm. got it close. I. <laughs> 
Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I still bet that's wrong. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> just I mean, probably I, the back of a, of a, a Pepsi can where he died somewhere. Probably. We'll, I, I'm yeah. sure in Japanese media where they have funny things happen in commercials all the time, they just kill them off. And then, and then Megatron promotes some sort of product uh, or it's like a turtle wax thing where they just bring him back together after that. And he's fine. And not to, not to take away from mm-hmm. any of what we just said, but I mean, this movie for me that's why it was so confusing to start off because so many characters are mm-hmm. dead yeah. within the first 20 minutes yep i mean so many so many characters die i didn't even have a chance to really pay attention to how many characters were truly dead mm-hmm. I, I was just i was completely taken out of it um the only reason why i knew about optimus prime dying is because of one memes mm-hmm. and two we incessantly made fun of Optimus prime's children we oh, just yeah. did he, um it was just yeah just we'll get to the <laughs> The nonsense that is Rodimus Prime at the end. But uh, I mean, I, I want to add one thing about mm-hmm. this whole killing Optimus Prime thing. To this day, I'm just realizing this. To this day, I still have a hugely negative reaction when I feel that mm-hmm. uh, a, a, an auteur is killing off characters just to advance the story yep. because they feel like they need to create stakes, mm-hmm. um, which is how I interpreted what happened to Prime at the time. It didn't really register that this was an executive thing because i was 11 mm-hmm. but uh still hate it yeah still hate it again like i I, re- I distinctly remember being like five years old and watching this movie for the first time and my brother who'd seen before he's like don't do it man do not watch this movie i'm like what are you talking about it's transformers we have the poster in our bedroom i'm watching this movie and i watch it and prime dies and i leave the room crying and refuse to watch the rest of the movie it got to the point that they had to fast forward until the end because in some edits of uh, of the home releases, when you see um, the ending part just before the credit roll, a voice comes on that normally narrates the series and says, an Optimus Prime will return. So it's like, oh, he's going to come back good. Well, we can go back and watch the movie as my tears began to dry. But um, I don't want to go too much into like scene by scene of this movie. I carried us through the first 15 minutes, and yes, that is the first 15 minutes of this movie. Very scarring. Um, because if you haven't seen this movie, I want you to see it for yourself. But for, we touched on it a little bit. But let's talk about the cast. Uh, because you had the basically every returning voice actor from the series whose character had a speaking line did come back to it. And uh, as we had said before, this was sadly the last performance of Orson Welles. This was also the last performance for Scatman Crothers, who voiced Jazz mm-hmm. originally. Um, he died, I believe it was a month and a half to two months after the premiere of the movie, um, he passed away. So this was his last um, performance. But um, So you get Peter Cullen, who thankfully eventually comes back and he's doing Optimus Prime again in the modern day. You get Frank. I voiced the goddamn 80s Welker because he did. Like, I think you could throw a stone at a list of 80s cartoons and you'd be hard-pressed to not hit five that Frank Welker was in when the stone hits the wall. Um, even in this movie, he was Megatron. He was two of the cassettes uh, from Soundwave, the two that actually had speaking roles. And he was all the background junkions that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, So he is voicing more people in this movie than any other voice actor. But like we talked about Judd Nelson, who uh, just coming off uh, Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire fame. If you're not familiar with him, he is our, I'm forgetting his name in Breakfast Club, but he is our lovable ruffian. He's a fist pumper at the end. That's really all you need to know. Yeah, that's everybody. It. Rem- 
Yep. 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 We had Robert Stack, like we said, from The Untouchables and Unsolved Mysteries, Eric Idle. And the one we haven't gotten to yet, because Megatron, shortly after Prime dies, actually gets reformatted and rebuilt better, stronger, faster into Galvatron. Sexier. Sexy. Very sexier. He's now purple and gray. Very sexy for the 80s. Uh, and is now going by Galvatron. And he is voiced by motherfucking Spock himself, Leonard Nimoy. All I can think of, and, and, and Chris, I don't want to cut you off if you're saying something here, but all I can think of of Leonard Nimoy has nothing to do with Transformers. It has to do with a Dreamcast game called, uh, I think it's called, oh, what is it now? Seaman. You guys ever heard of that that game, Seaman? You're fucking with me. This is like Jesus and pals, oh, right? It's Seaman. I'm not. Seaman. I am not. Never so heard. He he voices. He he does this voiceover for the Dreamcast game where it's a fish tank, and you have to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. And the fishes, they they have a fish body, but then they have human faces. So every time you log into the game, after some time has passed, you'll hear Leonard Nimoy go, "The the Seaman and the tank are happy." Or your seaman appear to be hungry. You should probably feed them. And you're like, like oh every God. time I hear him now, that's all I can think of. I'm not thinking oh, about oh, him as Galvatron. Oh. I'm thinking of him as the seaman voiceover. That's and all I can hear. This, it's all I can hear. At that point, when he's doing seaman, you know, he's like, you know what? I did that fucking Bilbo Baggins song. Why not? Let's do this. <laughs> Let's talk about seaman. Chris, if you've listened to five minutes of the show, you know that we're all about tangents, and I'm not apologizing oh. for this. This is this is one of my favorite tangents this of all time. Educational for me, and I'm gonna look this up. I <laughs> I was not aware of this. I mean, it, yeah, he was like, <laughs> yeah, he was like, yeah, you like this 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 Transformers voiceover? Well, that was just a taste. <laughs> yeah, just wait for what I'm gonna do next. Yeah, but so, seriously, he was good. He he was so good, in fact. Mm-hmm. That I didn't even know it was him at first. Yeah. Like, seriously, that's how good he did. And, I don't know if you guys think the same thing. I, I agree. And this is actually, uh, in regards to Galvatron, Chris, this is why I want you, if you could, if your memory serves you if, uh, correct, if you could fact check the internet for me. Um, there is a scene in this movie where Galvatron is flying and Grimlock blasts him with fire. And we see him, like, give a shake of the fist to Galvatron. I've heard that in the original theatrical cut, he actually flips um, flips Galvatron off, goes in the solid bird. Do you recall that happening ever? I No, I don't recall that, okay. but it was a long time ago yeah. when I'm old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yep, fantastic performance. And at this point, like I said, I don't want to go like scene by scene of this movie, but this movie has so many memorable moments to it beyond Optimus Prime dying. Uh, which is, I think, where like adults going back and watching it again, like they can appreciate the things around that in the movie. So I want to kind of go like roundtable discussion with us going around. Um, and Chris, if you're if you're fine with going first, we'll give that to you. Uh, are there any standout moments or scenes in this movie that are just like the uh, either piece de resistance or the Ermagerd? I can't believe that just happened um, moment. Other than, of course, you know, Prime dying because we talked about that in, in detail. So yeah. You have the floor, good sir. Anything? Yeah. Uh, anything you want to share? No, the moments that really stand out, the ones that will replay in my head randomly. Um, perhaps the most cathartic thirty seconds in all cinema, at least for me, was uh, 
the death of Starscream, Coronation Starscream. Yes. That mm -hmm. comedy. Megatron, is that you? Here's a hint. He was so odious. That my mother even said, love that scene because mm -hmm. he's so odious. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> Watching him get destroyed and, and turn into mm -hmm. dust was mm -hmm. it was just something beautiful because he was a successful villain. He was as annoying as you mm -hmm. could get. He was dangerous. You wanted him gone. Yeah. So there was at least one death there that was like, mm -hmm. okay, good, he's gone. Of course, he didn't die either. No, he gets a couple yeah. back. Um, and also, I'd like to say, um, while the Autobots get basically massacred in this Toy Massacre of 86, um, uh, Starscream is like, I think, the only Decepticon who we actually know died. Yeah, he mm -hmm. died. I mean, it ends up being the only one that actually comes back in the same form. Mm -hmm. The others were reformatted. But, yep. Uh, so they kind of died. They kind of didn't. They were different mm -hmm. characters, but they weren't. There's arguments about who was who. Yeah. I, uh, you know that Obelisk look. It's Unicron, mm -hmm. and then the later scene. I'm the last survivor of Lithone when uh, that same character Kranix is in the uh, Quintesson's cells. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just that just comes back to me all the time too. Mm -hmm. it, it, not sure why, <laughs> but it just does. Mm -hmm. well, I, mean, um, I mean, in in. Uh, your defense i think that's actually like good storytelling because you have the autobots who literally have no idea about unicron at all um for the most part because some of them get a transmission others don't so they're clueless to it and it was bringing back that character as he somehow escaped was a good way to actually move the plot forward and help it so that the rest of our heroes aren't just like lollygagging like da, 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 da. we'll get back to Cybertron whenever. Right. So mm -hmm, I thought it was a good story. Well, they showed him escaping at the beginning too, which mm -hmm. you realize when you watch it again later. Um, otherwise, it's a it's a pastiche of random shots. Mm -hmm. uh, Unicron reaching over Cybertron and grabbing and raking his claws yeah. across. Always stands out. It, some of those epic moments. Um, mm -hmm. And then dare to be stupid which was so strange mm -hmm. i love it because i was such a weird alpha am such a weird alpha fan. i met the guy last week oh uh, nice I saw him last week um but uh it still felt out of place it still feels out of place <laughs> even though it led to you know it it, it defined the junkions as yep. goofy um you know and he had the double hit too because eric idol was Rekgar. yep so with Rekgar there, you got the Monty Python thing and that kind of goofiness. And I knew Monty Python at that age because parents were responsible and let's watch PBS. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it stood out. And it, it just as a, you know, maybe we get to this later, mm -hmm. but yeah, as a side note, you know, it, it created a character for Weird Al down the road, having that song. And, yeah. And uh, by the way, I um, also just noticed the mandatory fun poster behind you. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Yes, very good. Uh, <laughs> it's actually signed, and it says "Good Ooh. job" because I got to sing Yoda in that concert. Nice, boy. Oh. Front row. Yeah, um, part I was meant to play, baby. Yeah, <laughs> me and Minwet, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda have something in common. Yeah, <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I've got to say this: for me, having watched this movie for the first time, the Junkions did stand out to me just because of how how like uh og star trek it felt to me yep you know like just this this planet that we don't quite have a whole understanding of and, and we're, we're held captive you know mm -hmm. 
like that that whole part of it kind of spoke to me there but for me since i once again did not know about unicron i didn't know about these things seeing him as this ominous presence that you understand can very clearly take over anything he wants at any given time mm -hmm. yet he's he's using these these reskinned minions right that that to me was the payoff you know seeing him all of a sudden just go all right you want to get something done you do it yourself yep right and and seeing that done uh was actually kind of shocking to me like i was like holy shit look at this thing mm -hmm. like he's he's galactus basically yeah um, that that was a huge reveal and i i was that didn't see it coming i had no idea total blind spot mm -hmm. for me yeah again just again like some of the, the beautiful storytelling that i think a lot of us who watch it for the first time in our youth uh, missed out on because of the the uh just the tragedy that fell upon us all um and i am i gonna i'm gonna mirror a lot of what youtube already said and and for me the standout um scenes are definitely on the planet of junk uh just biggest reasons um being one i think it was actually despite what does happen on the planet of junk i'll get to that in a bit it did provide a lot of much needed levity that this movie really <laughs> needed because we get a few quips here and there um but then you get this race of transforming robots who seemingly can't be killed because they're made out of junk. So, like, when you knock them down, they just literally shove their parts back on and just keep coming back at you. And they're not, like, like the easy way out could have been, like, space zombies. Um, could have been the way they went with this. But instead, they're intelligent, but weirdly intelligent. Because, you know, they're daring to be stupid. And the way they actually speak is through TV lines that they string together to make coherent sentences. And, like, there are parts where they're talking on the planet, where they're basically going through, like, used car dealership lines, um, and when they're fighting Unicron at the end, which I also love that, that fight with the Unicron, when you've got some Autobots on the bright, shiny new ship, and it gets shot down after one hit, and you have the junk um, ship, who's getting blown up by fire, and the junk hands are just throwing junk parts back on it. And they're talking about how, you know, like... Um, satisfaction guaranteed or your money back over their ship. And it's like, this is some piece of junk car that they're able to just keep going time and time again. And so, like, I love that. And also, one of the parts that shows that they also actually had to tone things down from what scarred our, our childhood, um, because as much as people like to complain that modern movies ruined our childhood, this one ruined our childhood while we were in our childhood, and it made no apologies about it is Ultra <laughs> Magnus also gets killed on the planet of junk. And true. if you recall how he's trying to open the Matrix of Leadership, he gets shot a bunch of times, and he falls. Open, and damn it, open. Up. That's the other side. Yes, open. Yeah, there we go. So it's two. It's it's open, damn it, open, and shit, what are we going to do now? Um, yeah. So he falls to the ground, explodes into pieces. What was supposed to happen and what was storyboarded to happen is that this, uh, is it the, no, was it the sweeps? Or was it the moops? Yeah, the sweeps. It's the sweeps, yeah, because it was the Seekers before, and now it's the sweeps. Uh, yeah. They were supposed to draw and quarter Ultra Magnus, and mm, you would oh just see God. his limbs slowly being ripped out of his body when Galvatron would transform into his cannon mode at point-blank range and blow a massive hole straight through Ultra Magnus before the sweeps would then tear him into pieces and then fly off. And he would then pick up the Matrix of Leadership victoriously, scorning Unicron. Um so, and then when that happened, the director's like, are you guys fucking serious? This is a kid's movie. 
We already killed their father. We can't draw and quarter a new character and blow him to pieces. And the exec's like, we're going to bring him back. He's a new toy. It doesn't matter. That's insanely scarring. And also, by the way, either way, like drawn, quartered, or the blown to pieces, he gets blown to pieces. The junkions basically piece him back together, throw some turtle wax on him, and bring him back to life. I was going to say, they polished him to life. Yeah. That's all they did, really. <laughs> yeah, and Optimus Prime again, shot three times dead. Like, I remember, like, that's a good tune. Like, are you serious? We brought Maybe back unsolved mysteries? They might have been hollow points, Joe. Mm -hmm. I mean, those those can do some pretty mm -hmm. pretty big damage. Okay, yeah. I, that's the thing. I think we have armor piercing. Maybe let's let's just At let's minimum. just be realistic mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Yep. And then again, we get the the awesome track by um, Weird Al Yankovic, "Dare to Be Stupid," which again fits the junkie on so well and does like it just it's a great insight into their characters. Again, they're rattling off like random TV phrases that like you have to imagine that if you're if you're fighting them and you're blowing them away and they're coming back and they're saying these dumb lines, that has to be one of the most humiliating things that can happen to you. Like, we are working so hard over here. <laughs> and and they're out here spitting out soap opera lines. What are we doing? How do we, how do we win? How do we win? Well, okay. So, you know, here, here's the thing. With this movie, I, I, de I definitely looked into some of the retrospect aspects of it, mm -hmm. especially the performance of it here. Now, Chris, you mentioned you saw it and... The theater didn't seem to be like, you know, full to the gills or anything. But Joe, can you tell me like, or Chris, either of you, can you tell me, was this movie financially successful? Like how did it actually do overall? It, it did not do well. No, I did not. Um, so again, like, like Chris had pointed out, it was actually difficult to go and see the movie. He had to drive a, a good distance in an unknown, unknown world to, uh, to find it. Because it was oh after take a bus. yeah had to take I'll say I'll add to the lore and say two buses and one train. I have no <laughs> idea if Seattle has or had trains, but you took one train to get to that movie theater. I and, didn't have to take the monorail, but ah uh, there you go monorail. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and part of that reason is because after this was screened, they're like, "What have we done? What <laughs> have we done?" and they released it to only 999 theaters uh, domestically. So it was not released very, very, um, very much. And it had a budget of $6 million. It made $5.8 million. So <laughs> it did not do not well. Um, and it would have ramifications on, uh, on the brand after that, because obviously, like we said, um, the toy line peaked in 85, the year before the movie. Um, believe it or not, there was a script for the G.I. Joe movie, which was made up before this, and there's a legend that says that Friedman got a hold of it, or someone got a hold of it before, and that's where the idea for Prime being killed uh, came from. I don't, I don't buy that, considering like they're all saying like we were against it, but I digress. Um, Duke was supposed to die in that, like I think it's like 87 G.I. Joe movie, but because of Optimus Prime dying, they're like, nah, Duke's going to make it. Go Duke. Um, so they changed the mind about other movies. Um, the, the toy line does take a hit, which is also sad because, uh, in 86, we did see like higher price points for the toys coming out because you got Metroplex and, uh, these much larger transformers other than just combiners showing up and people were still like, we want to fucking buy Optimus Prime and he's nowhere. We need him back. Um, so, uh, that was, that was... I kind of think the immediate damage of this movie. 
I, I would add on the toy line point, the lack of anything Unicron really stood out to me mm-hmm. at, at that age. Like we heard rumors that there was some prototype, which I actually eventually saw photos of a few years ago. Finally, mm-hmm. of they tried to do the whole thing, but there was nothing for Unicron at all. And Ultra Magnus is supposed to be one of the focuses. He wasn't very easy to play with because mm-hmm. he was basically shell with, an, with a white prime stuck in him and his arms could move yeah. but his like move yeah and uh to interrupt you right there i've been piecing this together over the years because i did not get him as a child but now that i have adults i'm an adult and i can make money i have been slowly piecing together an original ultra magnus so you can see him here Very nice and you can see that his legs don't do anything if you look at him back here you can see the white truck cab that is just a remold of the original optimus prime um, mine is only missing the tiny fists that go to the cab transformer and his blaster. So he is, he'll be complete soon, but yeah, he can literally move his arms. Um, and again, like even like his head, you have to pop this off and it's Optimus Prime underneath it. So <laughs> as a toy goes, he's big, but he's very underwhelming, uh, as, as things go. Um, and then you get like hot rod. Like if you have not seen him, this is, this is hot rod who is, again, this very cool, like, futuristic uh, race car. He's, he's very easy to transform. I won't do it on camera. Uh, you, can, you can find these pretty easily, these reproductions, and pick them up for yourself. Uh, he's also pretty cheap as far as reproductions goes. Um, so he was one of the toys that I think did relatively well. Um, but, yeah, like, the toy line for it was impressive. Uh, I, I don't think the one female Transformer, and also the first female Transformer ever made, did not get an action figure. Uh, She didn't show up until the 2010s. Yep. She, the only reason she's in the movie is because the director is like, my daughters watch the show. They love the show. I want a female transformer in it. And the pushback from Hasbro was pretty big. Basically kind of like the same thing. um, This is me just, you know, talking out of my ass. It's to my imagination. It's pretty similar to like um, what got um, Titans canceled. uh, The uh, no young justice canceled is that people weren't buying the toys for it. And someone said they were really got great character arcs, and with especially with the female characters coming up, and some executives said, girls don't fucking buy action figures. Um, so we're canning the show. And I think that was kind of the same mantra behind this. Is like, f- sure, your girl watches this, but she's not going to fucking buy a Transformer toy, which is probably wrong, because I'm guessing she had toys of the show that she liked to watch. So I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, those are some... Those are some beliefs that I think persisted even as recently as uh, the the sequel trilogy of Star Wars. You know, people are saying that that Ray, no one would buy, girls won't buy Ray toys or whatever. He's not and, sexy enough. And, that that dad bot of his. And in modern times, well, very different story. Ray's probably the most attractive of the four Ghostbusters these days. Oh, I I was talking about Star Wars Ray, oh. not Ghostbusters Ray. I'm sorry, I just assumed Ghostbusters. Because of how much no. Ray. okay, my bad. No, no, not at all. But I mean, with Frank Walker, I, I, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, though, I mean, here, here's what I want to say about this because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure this movie came out during the same time that Aliens did yep. and the Karate Kid sequel. So I don't think there's really any scenario here where this movie has a chance to be successful. No, and I think it made like 1.7 million in its opening weekend which is not flattering. Not a good look. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. I mean, I just, I just don't see it happening, man. I don't at all. 
Um, but I, I guess overall, though, this is where we usually like to close things is talking about the legacy of a property. We're kind of already on its doorstep. Now, in the spirit of our, our guest, Chris, we'll let you kind of start first here. Where do you think the Transformers, the movie, really kind of fits within pop culture and its its overall impact? Overall pop culture? I've been thinking of it more in terms of the rest of the franchise. Make it start there, at least. It For the rest of the franchise, it really became kind of the core for all of the multiple retellings they've gone through. I mean, Transformers has been a multi-universe for decades now. Not that they saw it that way. They just wanted to introduce new toys, and they realized they can't kill Optimus Prime all the time. Just just 29. That's all. Bring him back. Uh, but that that the death and rebirth of Optimus Prime, the devourer of worlds, the chaos god Unicron, and sometimes Cybertron is Primus, sometimes he's not. Megatron becoming Galvatron, and those things have become kind of key points for all these retellings and retellings and retellings they've done. And even in live action movies, it shows up. Yeah, uh, all of it shows up. Even the junkie, the stuff with the junkie on speaking. Uh, TV words that Bumblebee only uses radio mm -hmm. uh, slogans in the live action movies until the absolute end. So it, it's that's had a big role. But the, the the movie, as far as broader pop culture goes, it's it's kind of it's really in there. You'll catch references. I've got references in the weirdest places. Um, <laughs> the touch shows up in Boogie Nights, yep. sung by Dirk Diggler. Mark Wahlberg, who later starred in the live action movies um, and has popped up other places too. And the whole notion of the traumatic death of prime has popped up. I wish I could remember where just offhand, but uh, I think it was even agents of shield. There was some kind of left field reference to transformers, the movie, which I, I had to go back and watch again, confirm for myself. Is that really what I think it is? <laughs> But because a lot of people are creating stuff now, did see this, as and they, it it is baked into their their psyches, whether they're thinking about it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But because if it had a longer impact, I guess it's because it did shape the franchise as a whole and its repeated retellings and how those have blossomed out into the rest of popular culture. Yeah, and I mean, at the very least, we get a uh, we get a Prime Day meme every year with Optimus Prime. Uh, reminding yes. us who died for our sales and how too many people forget um, the real reason for the season. Yes. Mm -hmm. it, Joe, since I have far less to say, I, I will, I will go before you here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Most of my recollection of this film without having obviously seen it all the way through was, was because of jokes or memes. It, it was far less to do with impact. I think uh, initially, now, after having seen it as an adult and kind of looking at what they were trying to do with it, I, I think the legacy of this movie, uh, it, it's its definitely hitting you over the head that, yes, we were trying to sell toys. Mm -hmm. we, we were trying to do something that uh, allowed us to put more plastic out there. And I, I did still enjoy the, the action, you know, for a lot of animation, especially at that same time period. You can definitely tell there's a big difference in quality and and what they were trying to do. Yeah. It, it does get it gets a little messy at points, like we kind of talked about. There are some points where you can't really quite tell who's dying and what's going on unless mm -hmm. you're either a, a super big fan or you slow it down. Yeah. 
but, but I mean, looking at it through that lens, I thought, yeah, this is still a pretty well-made film, despite the the plot and the content kind of getting a little out of sorts at times. <laughs> but it all matters. It's a well-made film. Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing, though. I mean, think about other movies where you're like, you know, it's a well-made movie, but the plot sucks. You know, like we've been there plenty of times, and and this is one of those movies where I don't think it sucks necessarily. I, I still think there's plenty of good things that happen within it, but you can definitely tell that it's it's like the equivalent of a quarterback throwing off their back foot. Mm-hmm. It's not always going to be successful. Sometimes it's good, but most of the time you're kind of going, okay, maybe we should have thought twice about doing that. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of where I am with it. I, I think the the acting performances definitely help raise all boats in this in this mm-hmm. case. And so uh, walking away from it at the ripe age of 35, I mean, you'll, you'll see worse movies out there yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, echoing a bit of what was already said, um, uh, I, I will say this is probably the first bit of animation I saw as a child that blew me away. Like I didn't believe this was possible. Like it could look that yeah. good. And uh, also I know that I read um, a report and I'm, I'm, forgetting the name of the critic who said that I'm sure the animation is great for children but for adults. It, it actually is going to fall short. And looking at it now, I sort of like, fuck you, dude. Like, I think it looks beautiful. This is great. Like compare this shit to Disney. No transformers. 86 every time looks be- more beautiful than anything Disney's making. Um, so, yeah. but I think for like it's legacy is probably is it stands as a dare for the modern, for the modern media. As a, hey, you think you can kill off your main character like we did? It proved as kind of a uh, kind of a speed bump for the franchise as a whole, because like the the the, the toy line's going on, it's still making millions of dollars, it's still doing well. Uh, not definitely still a shadow of its former self, but uh, like Chris said earlier, nowadays like when you can read a story, watch a movie, and you can kind of see that they're building up to like is this character going to survive? And like, they're using that as like this kind of like this lame tension point to keep you interested. Um, I feel like inadvertently like transformers is, is a root cause for a lot of that is because we killed off Optimus prime. We probably shouldn't have, we brought him back fairly successfully. So we see other franchises thinking, should I do the same thing? Am I going to build interest and, and, and have this character die? Or do they narrowly escape and we do not pull a Transformers 86? Um, so I think it's beautiful animation. It's it's daring and bold, albeit stupid maneuver to sell toys. And and I'm going to say it's soundtrack are this film's <laughs> incredible legacy. Well, I, I did, the idea of killing off Prime or killing off the major father figure or whatever, I mean, that's, that's as old as mm-hmm. myth. But using it this way in popular culture, I think you've got a point that it did. It, it probably had seeded some of what came later. Yeah. Uh, as far as reusing that and reusing it and making it, mm-hmm. you know, hey, it works, especially if we bring them back um, or something like that. You know, yeah. Kenobi died in Star Wars. It's not mm-hmm. like they never had touched on that before. True. Oh, spoilers. Spoilers. Come on. All right. Okay, so I think at this point, um, 
Uh, on that note, we're going to thank you for listening to Digital Dissection. Uh, and as always, we appreciate all the Dissection, Dissection crew does for us week after week. Uh, your support really does go a long way. Uh, and if you happen to upon this by accident because you looked up the Toy Master of 86 and found us, uh, why not drop us a review or comment on the show? Uh, we also really love hearing from you, uh, so feel free to message us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. We are old enough where we still use email. Uh, and we welcome your ideas for future shows, uh, as well as anything and uh, anything you would like to discuss, because we've got the time on our hands. And until next time, keep on dissecting, and don't worry, Optimus Prime will always return. Thank you.